Hello, everyone. You're listening to Battle Red Radio. I'm Matt Weston tonight. I'm joined by the biggest, the fattest, the drunkest of them all, our good pal BFD. How are you doing tonight, man? Woo! Go Texans! Yeah, did you know that your Houston Texans, not my Houston Texans, but your Houston Texans blew a 24-point lead? Well, you know, not only did they blow a 24-point lead, they also lost by 20 points. They became the first team in NFL history to do that, Big Matt. That's that's special. It, it was really special how they blew a 24-point lead in, I think, one quarter, just about. Yeah, one like, quarter. Or one half. And, you know, they, the Chiefs took the lead with... Um, they took the lead with 247 left in the, game, in the second quarter. They win uh, touchdown, touchdown, fumble return, touchdown, touchdown. And that's how that's how they ended up doing it. So it was very quick. It was very fast and uh, very sweaty, you know, and very painful. I mean, I, I, wow, I've watched a lot of football. I say this all the time. I've watched a lot of football, but that was still something I'd never seen before. I'd never seen a swing that that, that was that radical. When I wrote the uh, write up, I was kind of redundant. When I wrote the post game, uh, for the game, uh, Sunday night. You know, I compared it to the 1993 Houston Oilers, you know, losing to the Buffalo Bills game. But still, we were up and, you know, in half and then we fell apart. But we went up 24 nothing, and we're down 28 nothing before the half or 28-24 before the half ended. I mean, that was insane. Yeah. And, and looking at it here, I guess that was kind of like it took like 16 minutes for that to happen. And this one, I feel like now that uh, we can be blood brothers as a millennial and a Gen Xer, this loss really kind of bridged the gap between two generations, which I think was very beautiful for us as we continue to be Houston football fans. Because it's not Texans fans or Houston football fans, I guess, is a, is a better way to say it. But yeah, I feel like we share a kinship now that we, that we didn't feel before. That's right, because that 1993, I mean, you weren't even born yet, right? Yeah, I was born. Oh, uh, whatever. Yeah. Liar. Yeah, I was I was still breastfeeding, but also I was breastfed until I was twelve years old. You know, so I got so right. tall. Right. So in this, in this game, the Texans up twenty four zero, and they proceeded to get outscored. Uh, this this can't be right. Forty one zero after that, that can't be right. <laughs> there there's no way. There's no way this would happen. <laughs> But it's true. They turned twenty four zero into forty one twenty four. Uh, I mean, like, <laughs> I don't know. I think that's that's enough. I think we can end the show with that. But did you ever at one point think the Houston Texans are going to the AFC Championship game? I never thought that. Never at any point because it was so fluky. That was a big deal. And and I, you know, it was of course, you know, this is a big game. I have friends. Friends texting me during the game. And I had one friend that was texting me throughout the game, like every like two or three minutes, the Texans are going to lose this game. <laughs> two or three minutes later, the Texans are going to lose this game. I mean, as Texans fans, we were pretty darn conditioned that we were going to lose games like this. But it was the simple fact that 
when we went up 24 to nothing, it was fluky. It was really fluky. We had that good first drive, beautiful, beautiful play design on the Kenny Stills touchdown. Absolutely beautiful play design. But then, you know, Casey had a couple of drops and then there was the um, block punt, which we hadn't had a block punt for a touchdown in what, a decade or something silly like that. Then there was the, the muff fumble or the muff punt later on for the short field. And then we added on that really stupid field goal that every one of us is saying, go for it, go for the touchdown and don't kick the field goal. And well, I, you know, whatever about momentum, but I, no point did I ever feel like we were going to win the game because we're up 24, nothing. And there's what, like seven minutes left in the first quarter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there was no confidence. Yeah. I, I never felt, I don't, I felt like, okay. Even they went down 28, 24, cause it's still Watson. It's like, and the Chiefs' pass defense is great, but you know, it's not over yet. And that proceeded to fall into shambles. But yeah, I never felt like, oh, wait, maybe I should get tickets to go watch the Texans play the Titans next week in Houston or anything like that all whatsoever. It's like, yeah, this is still a very great pass defense, a transcendent quarterback, and most importantly, really bad pass defense too. So which play broke you in this game? Like, what was the play that happened where it's like, oh, okay, yeah, we're totally effed. Like, that's it. I there's no way they're gonna win this one now. The DeAndre Carter fumble. That was it. That yeah. was the one that turned me. It's like that's we're done. And and I, I had no hope after that fumble at all. All I could do was laugh. So every every like hijinks that happened after that got LOLs instead of me throwing something. Yeah. No, and that, that played too, and that what happened, I screamed. I was like, Oh <laughs> no, what I thought I was gonna vomit whenever that one happened. And uh, and whenever they made it, you know, twenty four, twenty one, I was like, "All right, well, uh, yeah, there, there goes kind of everything." Is is how it was at that point. We were done because the one thing we could not do is we could not take the uh, the uh, f- the foot off the gas, and uh, Bill O'Brien immediately did that. So we're up twenty one, nothing. We had that short fourth down. It was a fourth and one. He, he butchers that entire sequence right right there. He takes a timeout when he doesn't like the fourth and one play call, and then he kicks the field goal in fourth and one. He immediately took his foot off the gas at the first opportunity he could. And then even after they scored, it was a bunch of chums after that, mm-hmm. right? It was it, We immediately started slamming it into reverse, and then it just let Casey catch up with us. You cannot think that Carlos Hyde, you're going to ball control your way against the Kansas City Chiefs when they can score in a minute and 30 seconds. Yeah, and so you mentioned the the field goal a few times. I, I hate that play call. You know, it's fourth and one. They had the ball at Kansas City's 10-yard line at that point. And the thing about it's like, okay, you ha- you invested what? If you include the Tensile trade, you invested three first-round picks in your offensive line. You invested three second-round picks. You paid, uh, you're paying Zach Fulton, you have $6.5 billion a year as well, too. And you're at, you have fourth and inches right there at that point. Um, you've been a ball control offense who's run the ball over and over and over again throughout the entire season. And you have fourth and one, and you're at Kansas City's 13-yard line. And they they kick the field goal there to make it you know, 24-0, make it a three, like a, a pseudo three-possession game, but it's pretty much a four-possession game at that point. I, I hate the play call because you at least give Kansas City the ball to 13. They have to if they score, it's going to take them 87 yards, which takes time off the clock too. And maybe in the halftime, it's like 24-14 at the worst or whatever it is. Um, so they kick the field goal, and then Karma Karma comes around right away. 
Miko Hardman has the 58-yard 58 58-yard 58 field goal return, and then the crowd starts cheering, and you know Kansas City kind of feels like they're back into immediately at that point. Um, that so then following that play call was the fake punt, which came with the ball oh, at their own. God. And this was Justin Reed carrying this fake punt as well too. But this came on fourth and four with the ball at their own 31-yard line. And the third and four play call was really weird too before that because that was Watson and Shotgun. Um, Will Fuller split out left wide with a, a stack formation on the right. And they were r- running one route on that play. It was Fuller yeah. running an out route. Nobody else was running a route. Fellas like chipped and went to the center of the field. But Watson had one throw on that play. And that's when my grabs this offense is they have so many wasted routes where they get match up and we're isolating it to this side of the field and this is it. And Watson just threw the ball to the ground. That led to you know, fourth and four and the fake punt. But you go from having a chance to go for it for one yard with your best players, with Deshaun Watson, um, a play that you probably have like a 9% chance of converting if you just sneak it even. And you don't get that. I wonder how much of the Bills game plays into that too because they didn't convert that quarterback sneak. And then you turn back around using Justin Reed instead of Deshaun Watson on fourth and four with the ball at your own 31 try to convert instead. And then you just kind of give Kansas City a short field as well to get their 14, to get points number 14 as well um, after that point too. So, I mean, I th- I think they're both outrageously stupid. Um, horrendous play calls. And there's no like, I saw some stuff online just like, well, maybe this is why it happened or why it happened. It doesn't matter why it happened. There's no defending it. Bill Bryan's still the head coach. He still has processes in place that leads to it. Um, even if the player's like, yeah, that's what the look we want, we're going to do it, or whatever, or the special teams corps makes a decision, you still have this process in place and go ahead for it. And it, they were both outrageously dumb. But which which decision do you think was dumber in this game? And just to be clear, what, what Matt's talking about is a lot of people are coming back and saying, well, Justin Reed should have optioned out of that. He should have called and said, no, we're not going to do this, or called a timeout, or a lot of people are trying to put it on Justin Reed instead of the guy who actually called the play. No, no. Cause Bill O'Brien's sitting there on the sideline and he too can call the timeout. He too could get out of that play. And he loves, he, did he, not. He, he loves calling timeouts too. Yeah. And, and wasting timeouts. He's really fond of wasting timeouts. And that's a, so, that's a big thing too. I've, I forgot to mention that about the fourth and one was they called the timeout. They're going to go for it, call a timeout, kick the field goal. And I remember the slack was fun because we were so excited they were going for it there. Right, and then he's right. like, you dumb. Oh, you're the worst. I hate you so coward, much. Coward, coward, coward. God, I hate you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then and then you call a timeout, you waste it there. And then you're in a situation where you're down 28-24 in the half and you run out of timeouts to have a short field goal for Kaimi Fairbairn. And now he's kicking a 51-yard field goal in the wind and the gray with his little gloves on with his fingers all, all cold. And he shanks <laughs> at you at 30 yards to the right trying to kick it really hard. And, like, I mean, just he wasted timeouts throughout the entire first half that you know, took points away as well, too. Like, every timeout's important, and these decisions you think are you know, meaningless, even if they don't end up affecting you in that game. There, It's the same process decisions over and over again that affect you and, and take points off the board in the long run. Well, it's not only the timeouts, it's the, it's the poor challenges. Like, it's all yeah. of it. There's like a big macro thing because you make a poor challenge, you use the timeout, lose the timeout, I'm sorry. And that's what Bill O'Brien does best is he really screws up the game clock game management aspect of it because, look, there's no reason to call. Look, I don't care. Fourth and one, look, Deshaun doesn't know the play. Just sneak it. Yeah, just run up and yes. sneak it. Yes, they clogged up the middle, fake the sneak, make a jump pass. Look, you can do things... Go schoolyard, 
lots of things you can do. Don't blow the timeout. Don't kick the field goal. And that's what Bill O'Brien did. Yeah, I need to go back uh, and watch the film for that too, because I think they want to run their, you know, their quarterback power or their zone read, and they probably had you know two guys off the off off each edge, and like, well, that takes with that play. We have no, you know, answers for it all whatsoever. Uh, but which which play call? Which decision you think was worse, the fake punt or kicking the field goal on fourth and one? The fake punt. If you're gonna go for it on fourth and four, I think it was fourth and four, right? Yeah, go for it. Don't don't fake punt. Go for it. Yeah. And the thing is, they were sitting on it. I mean, Sorensen was sitting on the dadgum play because, hey, look, it's playoff time. Teams do weird things. They're going to sit on things like that. And Justin Reed is not a running back. He's a safety. He had no moves. I have more moves than Justin Reed does. I at least have the hesitation move, and I'm 50 and no knees. <laughs> so I'll, Justin Reed just ran into Sorensen. That was it. Yeah. That was done. Yeah, it was a very sad run. I, I didn't realize how sad the rushing attempt was until afterwards, too, for it. Uh, and, like, don't put Reed there in that situation. You can put somebody else there who has put – put Tywan Jones there. I bet Jones gets the first down if he's there instead. That was also really, was really fun about last week, too, about the post game Or last week, at like, the coverage of the game. So my ass O'Brien about Tywan Jones. Like, oh, you know, we really liked him. He can do a lot of things. He had two catches the entire season. In the Bills, right. ca- the catch against the Bills, the catch against the Titans, and that sort of stuff always um, cracks me up. I hate the field goal more, but the punt was the worst decision, if that makes sense. Like, after the field goal, it's like, you're just allowing them to come in. Um, and I I mean, like, as far, as far as a narrative perspective goes, I think it changed the entire game. The difference between 24 and 21, I'm sure, is like 2.5% prob- win probability, probability points compared to, like, 28 and 24, I bet it's probably worth, you know, 10% or something. They probably like a 95% win percentage chance of up 28 0 at that point in the game instead of 24 0. Um, but yeah, I absolutely hated that though. Yeah, and that's when, when you look at the win percentage throughout the game, that's when it all of a sudden, like we peak, we peak, and then all of a sudden, right then at that point in time, it goes, whoop. yeah, all the way down forever. <laughs> uh, so the comeback, the Chiefs are down 24 0. The first drive, they have the ball at Houston's 42 after the Hardman return. Drive number two, they have the ball at Houston's 33 after the Reed fake punt. And Drew Sorensen made the tackle. We'll talk about him later, too. Drive number three came with the ball at Houston's six-yard line. This was after the DeAndre Carter fumble, which made the game 21-0. Drive number four, finally, the Chiefs have a drive during this comeback where they start the ball at their own territory. They have the ball at their own 10-yard line. Eight plays, 75 yards, two minute, three seconds. They scored another touchdown. That play, of course, had the Lonnie Johnson Jr. Jr. Uh, pass interference penalty on Kelsey. And then uh, Mahomes had some good r- scrambles as well, too. And I, the, I think the worst thing about the comeback, though, you know, looking at it here afterwards and you know, being rational, intelligent beings again, is just that the Texans I, were so overwhelmed, I think, with the fact they were up 24-0, and they just immediately crapped themselves after that. And they just didn't pressure the Chiefs at all whatsoever, up 24-0. Like they laid out the red carpet for them. And again, you're looking at a team that has a transcendent quarterback, a great passing attack, that's a year removed from being an all-time great offense, and you give them, you give them starting drives of 42-33-6, and then you're at their own 10-yard line. And you're, I mean, it's a wide-open door to be able to come back at that point, too. And so it's like, you know, I know the defense was bad and that sort of thing, but the defense these situations that you put them into to during this comeback were completely outrageous. And then Kansas City just swiped the fourth, the defense from there um, in the second half after this, this whole sort of run, but it was way too easy. They made it way too easy for Kansas city. 
Yeah, let's go. I want to talk about one thing in particular, uh, as far as that when you went through that little phase, um, is the McCall Hardman return, because that to me really displayed the the physical difference between the two teams. You have one team that is a track race. You have sprinters who are playing wide receiver, and Hardman is has Tyree Kill type speed a little bit. Everybody's a notch down from Tyree Kill. But if there's a next notch down, it's it's Hardman. And you can see that on display on that kick return. And we talk about momentum. Look, there's no such thing as momentum. There really isn't. That's a rubbish term. Anything's momentum. Oh, we made a tackle. There's a momentum change and that sort of thing. The fact is, is that Kansas City's athletes are were so much better than ours. But it was Kansas City taking advantage of their athletes that separated from us. So we got those easy touchdowns. We didn't have give Carlos Hyde the ball a whole bunch. And then all of a sudden, we get up 24 nothing, and we get like 10 chums, like right then. And so we're just giving the ball to the worst, you know, skill player on our offense. And that, you know, okay, and the tight ends. But look, when you've got Duke Johnson, DeAndre Hopkins, DeAndre Carter, Will Fuller, Kenny Stills on your offense, and you keep giving the ball to Carlos Hyde up the middle, it does jack. And I want to add one more thing to that. They ran an outside zone play on the first series with Carlos Hyde that gained the seven yards, which was a long for the game. That was the last time they ran it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think they're a bad outside zone team, but that play worked well at that point. Um, the rushing attack, we'll talk about a little bit later too. But yeah, I think that was that was his long carry with seven yards on the first drive. And everything else after that didn't work at all, at all well too. And, and I think that has a lot to do with Kansas City's defense, how they've changed it since the loss of Tennessee and um, and the things that Houston did in that first matchup, that was kind of one of the things that we talked about on the side a lot last week was how much of what happened the first game actually matters for the second game. And it turned out really not a whole lot at all whatsoever, except for the fact that Houston had a bunch of breaks in this game like they had in the previous one. But uh, this one, you know, became sour really fast. So the special teams, they had the two big plays, but they also had the big negative plays. They missed the field goal. Carter had the fumble. They weren't able to convert the punt return. The defense allowed 51 points. The offense only scored 31 points. I, I saw some other stuff like the offense did its job in this game. The offense scored 17 points really in this game. Um, they had a red zone touchdown, which was important because you have to take advantage of opportunities like that after the, the Hill muff. But they had, and I don't know why they call it muff. I always feel nasty every time I say that. I have no <laughs> idea where that came from. Um, and then they had the, the fake screen you know, touchdown. That was a beautiful design. And but like that's twenty one of their points right there, and they scored ten points after that after that point. And the offense was bad too. The defense was bad. The special teams, I think, kind of balanced itself out some. But what was the biggest reason why the Texans lost this game? Who do you put the most blame on? The offense, the defense, or the special teams? Bill O'Brien. <laughs> I mean, we're just cut to the chase because. The thing that I'm going to keep going back to when it comes to Bill O'Brien and what he's done, especially since he took over as GM, is he has thrown every available resource at the offense to make himself look better. And what he also did is he traded Jadavi. Oh, my God, I can't save his name right now. I'm so tired. I've been up so long. Anyway, he traded Clowney to Seattle. Our nasty boy, Jadavi on Clowney. Yeah, he traded Clowney to Seattle. And look, I get it. You know, the Barkevious Mingo block punt. Hey, you know, thrill of the lifetime and and. You know, Jacob Martin got us a couple of sacks, but neither of those guys have the impact. Both those guys combined aren't even like a quarter of Clowney when it comes to what the the impact they have on a game. So 
he, he took he stripped away components from Rack from Romeo Cannell, and he he traded all the picks to make himself look better offensively. So we're left with playing guy, and then of course there's Brian Gain, who also you know if there's like Bill O'Brien deserves the most blame, and Brian Gain's right below that because you can't you can't subsist off taking a guy like Lonnie Johnson, who clearly did not deserve to be drafted in the second round. He was the worst cornerback in the NFL this year. Bar none. Like, the worst. He was embarrassed repeatedly on Sunday. Then we were picking up guys like Gary Conley and Vernon Hargraves off the scrap heap. That's not how you build a secondary. We gave Bradley Roby. We're so excited about Bradley Roby, we gave him a one-year deal. Mm-hmm. And And, look... It, you know, Tayshawn Gibson was a solid signing. He was hurt. Jaleel, Jaleel Adai was a great signing or a solid signing, but he was hurt. You know, you can't go sign cornerbacks, the most important position. And Jonathan Joseph, we've been calling for Jonathan Joseph to be removed for a couple of years now. The guy's done. He's been done. He didn't play a single snap on Sunday. You can't go replace him with Vernon Hargraves. Well, I think it was so good to it, repl- replace him. I think that the bad years go into the season expecting Joseph to play outside corner, but I think replacing the Hargraves was a better, was better than having Joseph out there, you know? Probably. But is that how you want to go attack it? Or do you want to give, yeah, you don't um, want to go to the season like that at all. And that yeah, was, that was yeah. one, those are the things that we talked about all last off season, about the past defense. It wasn't that we didn't like the Roby sign. I thought the Roby sign was fine, but you know, both of you and I said, they should make probably two more signings like this. They have the cap space. Just add Steven Nelson Add other guys like that you can sign for you know, on Claiborne. a short deal. Yeah, Claiborne was bad in Kansas City, but it's still the same idea. Just like get get competent players there. They just need even mediocrity would be a big difference compared to having, you know, um, Jackson at slot corner and having Sharice right out there as well too. Um, and then the, the Lonnie Johnson draft pick, you know, that's what we talked about as well too. That Johnson has the body, like the prototype to be a good player one day. But I'm not expecting anything from Johnson until year three. Like he's he can't play press, even despite his size. He can't tackle very well. He's slow off his breaks. Like he's a he's he's like a cover three, you know, um, zone turn corner. And the Texans didn't use him at all like that this year. And they had to play him a lot this year because they didn't have any secondary talent. And so, well, if you need a guy in the secondary who's going to play right away, trade up and take Greedy Williams or um, take the guy Arizona took in the, at the, in the first round, take a guy who actually has some talent to show, or not necessarily talent, but has shown like refinement at the position who can play right away and isn't the worst cornerback in football. Like you mentioned, uh, with your pro football focus stats too for it. But I mean, all this is kind of like a long one to say is that the Texans pass defense is awful. It's terrible. Uh, the chiefs passing offense is great. Their offense scored 35.3 points a game. That's not right. That was last season. Uh, their passing offense last this year in DVO is 43.7%, which is second. The Texans' pass defense, 19.5%, which is 26. They allowed 24.1 points a game, 6.9 net yards at 10, which is 25th. And last season, their pass defense DVOA was 8.8%. So it got 11% worse than, a, worse than a year after trading Clowney, after bringing in Martin, after improving the secondary with Roby and Conley and Hargraves and Gibson. And um, and during this tirade, I'm missing one more player, but it doesn't really matter at all. A die, a die, and so like, despite adding all these players, the pass defense was worse, and this really is a direct attribute to not having Jadavion Clowney, and also your run defense is worse too. So you don't have as many negative plays, and you're not forcing as many you know second and twelves that sort of things as well. Um, but 
this game, if you if I blacked out and woke up saw a score, it wouldn't be surprising at all. The Texans' pass defense has been terrible. We've been saying this since August was going to be bad. They were able to survive by because they limited the number of possessions. They had a high turnover rate. And this is the collapse that we thought we were going to see a lot more of during the regular season. It just happened in the worst time, the worst place possible. And this pass defense was the exact reason why, like as much fun, like as cute as the New England went, as much as I love them being New England, as much as as much fun as last week was, you're just kind of sitting around waiting for this game to happen. And that's kind of what happened to spot everything else that broke in front of it too. Yeah, I think we got extraordinarily lucky when we played Josh Allen. And I know I'm sorry to to beat you on your man crush with Josh Allen, but we got really lucky. And the defense played very well because they can play well against a guy like Josh Allen. Well, they can blitz against Allen is the thing. And and also, I mean, Buffalo's receivers drop three big passes in that game too. And uh, and it's a 23-year-old quarterback, which is different than playing Ryan Tannehill. But Buffalo was tougher than playing Pittsburgh though. Or Indianapolis or Oakland, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, you're you're completely right. So, and that's the one thing I I, I want to go back to is Bill O'Brien's two wins in the playoffs are against Connor Cook, who never played another NFL snap in his career, and Josh Allen. Mm-hmm. And the so funny, and, and the funny thing about Cook too ahead. is he was the third string quarterback that year because yeah. Matt McGloin got hurt and couldn't play, and that was Cook's only start. He never got another chance. And Jadavion Clown just like absolutely just terrorized him the entirety of that game. I felt bad for Cook that game. Mm-hmm. Poor guy. Poor guy. Um, so, Smiles. <laughs> so one of the one of the big things that came out of this game is that a lot of complaints towards Romeo Cornell. Like you mentioned, just the talent isn't here. I went back and watched the game after seeing a lot of these gripes. Like, well, they played too much off man coverage. They didn't play off man coverage this game. They played man with Lonnie Johnson on Kelsey a lot. They played press man as well, too. Um, they pretty much put Roby on Tyreek Hill the entire game, and they had Justin Reed deep after, from that point on. And also, like they were like, well, you have to take Johnson off Kelsey. I went back and watched. They tried Reed on Kelsey. That didn't work. They tried Hargreaves on Kelsey. That didn't work. They tried doubling Kelsey <laughs> doubling. with Hargreaves and Johnson. That didn't work. Um, Kelsey in this game had 10 catches on 12 targets, 434 yards and three touchdowns. They had that one, you know, foot drag touchdown where Roby's at the boundary and rather than sit in front of Kelsey, he takes off with Zach Cunningham and try to play Mahomes and that lets the leads to the drop off too. Uh Hargreaves gave a touchdown to uh no Conley gave a touchdown to Kelsey as well too because he's at the sideline and for, and Kelsey stops and Conley sees he has two yards of space the sideline and he he over pursues him to the pylon for whatever reason and sits and allows Kelsey catch another touchdown too. But Romeo Cornell tried everything he could to cover him. Nothing worked at all whatsoever. And it's like, well, I I, mean, I just don't know what else he could possibly do in this game to to make this pass defense not give up 51 points, you know? And, and, uh, the complaints about playing off, you have to play off. I mean, the entire thing with Romeo Cornell's defense, because you look at, look, we're not going to get to Mahomes because we have J.J. Watt and guys. And then I'm not sure. So one one of my biggest criticisms is that we could have played other guys than you know Carlos Watkins a lot, but um, you're not going to get to Mahomes because we have no legit pass rush. So you have to play your safeties and your cornerbacks off because you want to keep everything in front of you, or else you're going to get burned deep because Mahomes can make those throws. I there are rare times you see a defensive coordinator who is in such a lose lose situation when it comes to his personnel. Can't get to the quarterback, 
can't cover wide receivers. What do you do? Yeah, there there really wasn't anything at all. Uh, and like, I mean, listen to some of these uh, matchups they had. They had Mike Adams versus Blake Bell. Mike Adams is 37 years old. He hasn't been good <laughs> since Obama's first term. And he's out there in a playoff game getting beat off play action covering Blake Bell, which is you know, absolutely stupid. You have Sammy Watkins versus Gary and Conley. Oh, Dude, God, that was the one that was killing and, me. And I mean, Sorry. Watkins had two catches for 64 yards. And on that play, you have Conley playing cover two. And he plays the flat instead of instead of trailing uh, uh, Watkins, you know. And that was just that's and again, like you can't even play zone against the Chiefs because you have Tyreek Hill running. Just zone is hilarious against the Chiefs. You watch all twenty two because it's just Hill running in and out of deep zones, just pulling defenders and waiting for him to come down, running behind him wide open. Or you run two safeties and you have the entire middle occupied or unoccupied, and then you have Hardman running a, a deep streak through wide open. Like, you can't play zone against them. You have to play man. And the Texans didn't have the the guys to do it. Um, the one gripe I, I had about Romeo Cornell's game plan was that J.J. Watt didn't rush from the interior at all. It was Watt versus Mitchell Schwartz. That doesn't work. Watt had a, a really bad game. He was tired very fast in it. Um, uh-huh. There's a lot of plays where he just gave up. Like He got blocked by Tyree Kill on a bootleg going the other way. They also zone read him a lot. They didn't. They ran zone. Re- they ran the zone read at him. And they made him the redefender, and he wasn't able to play both at the same time at all. Um, he had a really rough game, but I think him against Wiley, him against Devarney Tardif, him against Wisniewski, like those are the matchups you want. And they kept him on the outside the entire time, which is strange because against Buffalo, he did have some interior reps too. Yeah, and I think I want go back to late in the first half. I don't see JJ Watt like really gasping for air like that very often, but he was done. He was done by the end of the first half in that game. And because he was, he was having to take a lot of routes outside. Now, now, you know, we've talked about, or one of the big things about the the pro Bill O'Brien crowd, even today is talking about, well, the team never gave up on him. Well, I tell you what, that's about as close as I've seen JJ Watt give up because he was done. I mean, I'm not saying that. Yeah, it was just hard to play that long with that many snaps. And, and there's who are you going to swap them out with, you know? So that there was a lot going on in that game kind of underneath the hood. You don't have adequate backups. You're still you're still giving guys like Watkins a lot of snaps. You're still giving guys like Colin Baye some snaps. There's not a whole lot of depth there because, well, we had to we had to give away you know first round picks for Laramie Tunsil. Well, and that and that so hasn't, had, and that hasn't hurt them yet though. They don't have a lot of depth. Because, well, yeah, but I'm saying it hasn't affected their team this year. The Tunsil trade, which is why the Tunsil trade's great because it hasn't hurt this team at all this season. It's going to hurt them next year and the year after. Uh, but they don't have, they don't have depth because they like to get run stopping three four defensive linemen, and they trade their best pass rusher or their I guess their second best pass pass rusher Clowney. Winning Merciless isn't very good. I'm excited to write a film room about Merciless. You know, the season review thing, saying like the Merciless contract's already a terrible decision. And and like they don't, they just, the biggest thing is it's talent. And I know like so much of football, the fun thing is to get really entailed in a scheme and matchups, that sort of thing. But it's like, if you don't have the talent, you can't play with teams like this. And Houston didn't have the talent against Kansas City. So many things that happened for them to beat them the first time. Kansas City was injured. The Chiefs team from the Titans game is an entirely different team these last eight weeks, and they've morphed into a great team again as well, too. Um, the other, going back to the pass rush, though, they tried a lot of different things. A lot of people were like, well, they didn't blitz. They did blitz. 
they blitzed a lot. You could, if you go back and watch it, they tried blitz McKinney and Cunningham a ton in the interior. None of it worked. They tried blitz safeties in the interior. None of it worked. They couldn't create any interior rush at all whatsoever. Uh, DJ Reader was bad. Angel Blackson was bad. And the entire time I was watching, I was thinking back to last offseason when you have Indomica Sue, when you have Gerald McCoy, when you have Sheldon Richardson, when you have like Mike Mike Adams, I know it's kind of hurt or whatever, but there was a wide variety of interior rushers available for cheap last offseason, and they didn't get any of those guys at all. And every single one popped up, you're like, they should sign that guy, they should sign that guy, they should sign that guy. And they didn't sign any of them at all whatsoever. And the interior pass was just bad. Um, the exterior step, Mahomes was able to run around. And the other thing is, too, is you can't blitz Mahomes. He'll throw out the blitz, he'll find open receivers. The Chiefs are really great at calling obbles at the line and recognizing blitz and running short little curls and, and stuff like that at the blitz itself and at finding the space against the blitz and creating easy completions. And also, whenever they did blitz and create pressure, you see Mahomes run away from the blitz. There's nobody over on that side because that, that edge rusher is wrapping up, rushing up the field to try to create a sack. And Mahomes just takes it off and scrambles forever, too. Um, so they're like, even whenever Cornell did the things that a lot of people wanted them to do, which is blitz more and, you know, play other guys. who play, he had a quarterback hit, but didn't do anything else after that. Martin was bad this game. Merciless is bad this game. Scarlett was bad this game. Their players just couldn't win their one versus one matchups at all. And then even they did try to bring pressure, that didn't work either. So I know like a lot of things that a lot of people were clamoring for, for this defense to work in the, in the passing game. Um, he tried, Cornell tried everything he could. And I didn't see any of it work at all whatsoever. I think the only thing they did well was not allow Tyreek Kill to beat him deep. And I think that was the main source of their game plan was don't get beat deep. Let's force them long drives. And then all the, the bozo things that happened in the first quarter, first half, kind of prevented that from happening as well, too. Well, I mean, look who had the only sack of the game for the Texans. Gary and Conley. Oh, yeah. That's is that crazy. What <laughs> that, that was it. That was it. That was in the first quarter, I think, too. It was early on in the game, and that was the only time that we got to Mahomes the entire game because he just moved out of it. And because – so here, here's the trade-offs again. Because you can't play zone against the Chiefs, that means you've got a lot of backs against the quarterback. You know, quarterbacks looking at a lot of backs, defensive backs, backs. And so Mahomes had plenty of room to run because we don't have a very quick – defensive line you know jacob martin's probably the only guy but there was a couple of how many times did you see mahomes just run around jj watt or run around dj reader for a 13 yard scramble it happened like a, five times i think and those were really easy yards because those were the guys that we were relying upon to get mahomes yeah and Watt, i mean Watt especially all watt didn't do any any power moves at all they were all you know wide edge rushes against schwartz and like even on the left side, like even him against Fisher instead, he could at least beat Fisher with some long arms and and bull rushes, and they didn't do that. They just say, okay, Merciless is against the left tackle, Watts against the right tackle. That's how we play. And I wonder how much of that's too. Just like I don't know the, the relationship Watt has with the coaching staff and what he does in the locker room. He's like, no, I want I want Schwartz. I want the right side. I'm more comfortable there. And they build their game plan around that compared to like this is the better spot for you. Um, I wonder how much like. Like how much giving in they do to Watt to to put him in the spots that maybe he wants or he's more comfortable doing instead of kind of making better decisions too. Well, that goes back to what our friend you know Rivers McCown said is that there is the rumors that JJ Watt didn't want to play inside anymore. That started a couple of years ago, and it's because of the back issues. And yeah. he felt like he was taking too much of a pounding on the back. Don't know if it's true. It makes a lot of sense, 
And he, I mean, he does, but, and it makes sense whenever you have Clowney and you have another guy who plays on the interior well, but whenever you don't and you're in a playoff game, that's your best matchup. Um, you know, I don't know. The whole thing kind of sucked too. Um, the next question we have here is from, our first listener questions from at Texans underscore thoughts from the podcast. And he had some questions about like what they could have done defense, but we talked a lot about that. Um, he asked, is Romeo Cornell gone or not? He had very little to work with, but I still feel like he could have done more. His making play was his inability to scheme with pressure. But again, I do think he tried to scheme with pressure. He tried to fill the interior to create pressure up there, and the Chiefs just picked it up well, and Mahomes was able to throw against him, run out of it really easily against Houston this game. Yeah, it's like blaming it's like blaming the bellboy for the Titanic going down. <laughs> it's like, you know, he didn't he didn't have he he was put in such a poor position in, in order to in, or to be able to make things happen. And again, I want to go back to something I really want to stress is that teams are so apprehensive against about throwing the ball against us. Teams are so scared, and we saw this with Buffalo last week, is they were so scared to do anything down the field. So you just run Josh Allen a lot. This stuff has been here all year, but we didn't see it because we played Minshew instead of Foles. We played Kyle Allen instead of um, Cam Newton. We played, there was a, a couple others that we played quarter, non-quarterback kind of guys because other guys were injured. We got really lucky because we dropped a couple of the good quarterbacks off the schedule this year. It's been there all year. Yeah. No, and, and then going back to that too, like Minshew's a good sideline thrower, but they wouldn't let him throw on the sideline against Houston. Like remember that fourth quarter against them where like they start letting him throw to Chark and Chark had you know seventy five yards and two drives they and they came you know whisker from tying against in the London game they just threw the ball to the flat over and over again and it seemed like they right. purposely sabotaged Minshew so they could start Foles the next week which they did and they benched Foles immediately afterwards uh, adding on to that the Chargers were bad Jameis Winston lost his two best receivers going into week sixteen uh, the Falcons were bad as well too. And and so like yeah like the 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 schedule was still tough. The Patriots had a bad quick passing attack this year. The schedule was a lot tougher in August than it was during the regular season. And this pat the pass defense has been bad on a per play basis the entire year. The interceptions helped it. The big plays by guys like Watt and Martin helped it as well too. Uh, really making big plays you know really helped it as well. But like on a per play like just coverage versus coverage, pass rush versus blocking defense, it was bad. And the reason why they're able to survive with it also is because the offense was very conservative and ball control oriented too. Uh, so do you think Cornell is going to get fired all this week or do you expect for him to be back again next year? Well, you know, O'Brien said today that he sees no reason why Cornell doesn't come back. And I, I don't disagree with it. Again, I think he, Cornell has gotten a really bum rap yeah. because he's been, he's been getting the scraps, you know, or, you know, Bill O'Brien gets to go out and, the analogy that keeps coming to my mind is, is like Bill O'Brien is the first bum to the dumpster and he's getting <laughs> all the great pick. And Cornell is like the eighth guy to come around. And he's like going, look, there's not even cheese stuck to the top of this pizza box. So I just get the box. <laughs> and so that's how I kind of feel like Cornell is right now. It's just like, he's not, he doesn't, he doesn't get the first pickings. He doesn't, he gets the eighth pickings for what happens with this roster because Bill O'Brien is, is just chowing down on everything. Yeah, I'm expecting. I mean, if they fire Cornell, it would be a bad decision. I think one of the things that O'Brien did well was to keep Cornell, or was to bring Cornell in as their defensive coordinator and, and stick with him too. Uh, the one year they didn't have Cornell was the Rabel year, and their defense <laughs> the dropped Rabel off year. to like 22nd. 
after and then every year Cornell has been the defense coordinator here. They've had top ten defense, even going back to last year they did. And this has been the one year where like things have finally fallen apart enough uh, and it hasn't worked out. And the Clarence trade was a disaster. And like we saw the the final repercussions of it this week. The pass defense was atrocious. And a lot of things they were worried about didn't come back to bite them entirely because you mentioned the schedule. Also, I think playing the Raiders without number one wide receiver was very fortunate too. And despite all this, they were 9-3 and one-score games. They won 2.2 more games than expected. And they were fortunate, and they really survived on Deshaun Watson's magic uh, to even get to this point as well too. And even being the opportunity to have the to go up 24-0 against Kansas City and then kind of fail from there too. Um, the last thing I want to say about the defense, I think, the red zone defense was the worst part of their game. They allowed six touchdowns on their seven drives. The Chiefs had red zone touchdown rate of fifty four percent this year, which is twentieth. The Texans, I've run the game preview, which is fun. Like I think the only way Houston can slow Kansas City down is they say, All right, we're gonna not allow you throw deep. We're gonna bend all the way to like the ten yard line and we're gonna hope and pray that we either have enough turnovers, enough passes are dropped, or you know, we can just survive in the red zone. And the Texans, of course, were 32nd touchdown rate this year. Um, so that whole thing didn't work out. But they forced in multiple third downs in the red zone. Mahomes was able to roll out and make some little drop-off passes against them. But I think that was kind of their game, Cornell's game plan in a lot of ways, is that we have to win the red zone. You know, up to this point, they're getting the ball on us. We have to win these situations. And, you know, again, going back to all the turnovers that once they went up 24-0, and then the red zone touchdown issues they allowed here, kind of, you know, killed this defense entirely. And that was their one chance to kind of limit Kansas City at all was to force field goals instead of touchdowns. And they didn't do that all this game either. Yeah, and a lot of that, we actually did not play that poorly in the red zone, but Travis Kelsey and Pat Mahomes were magical in the red zone and with was, those little drop passes. Yeah, it was just play-action rollouts. The bell play, I think, was the funniest one. And they also... Well, they had, they had the play, too, where they had Martin got rubbed, and he's in man-versus-man coverage yeah. against Damon Williams. And, and like, Martin's really fast, and Williams just floated by him. Like, whenever I watch the Chiefs play, it's like the other team's in slow motion, and they're in regular motion. They're just so much faster than everybody else. Oh, my God. Even before that, has when I saw that play lining up, I was like, no, no. Damian Williams is going to run a wheel route and he's going to get so white. Oh, there it is. <laughs> like, I didn't even get it out of my brain before it was happening. It was so quick. Yeah. It was kind of a horror movie. So an offense, the Texans only scored 31 points. And again, the offense did not do its job this game. They scored seven points of a block punt. They scored seven points after a muff punt. They scored seven points after a play they've never run before. I've, I've watched every, you know, Bill O'Brien Texans game. They've never run that play. They always run the quick wide receiver screen where the left tackle can't make the block out there. And this time they'd even pull, they even run Laramie Tensel out there on the one they ran earlier in the game because he never makes that block. Uh, I have a lot of things I want to say about Tensel on a different show. Just because he he's not like transcendent at all. He does he he's a good one versus one pass blocker, but he doesn't add enough everywhere else, you know. Um so Watson was thirty one fifty two for three hundred and eighty eight yards and two touchdowns. He also led the team with 37 rushing yards as well. The The biggest gripe I have with the offense was everything was so hard for them. And it's been like this in the entire season. And I know we had a, a short Twitter exchange where you mentioned like, you know, Shanahan's offense is so good at creating easy yards. And that's the, the thing that all great offenses do in the league. They all create easy yards and open throws, except for Seattle and Wilson's just magic. And, 
you know, Houston is kind of a similar slot where these are these are really hard throws he's having to make. These are throws where he has one read available to him. That's it. These are a lot of plays where he's scrambling around. Nothing is open downfield. They run so many isolation routes. Even if they get zone coverage, they're running isolation routes against zone coverage. They never flood anything. There's no route combinations that anybody else open. It's just everything's individual. Um, and I don't think Watson played a bad game at all. I think he played a fine game, but he wasn't like spectacular or tremendous. I think a lot of that just has to do with you know the Chiefs have a good pass defense. Oh, you just froze on me. I'm here. I stopped talking. Okay, you're there. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and the one thing, and we talked about the you know specifically the before the uh, fake punt, the. Uh, very much an isolation pass to Will Fuller. I mean, he was the only, there was one read. That was it. Deshaun Watson looked up, saw he was draped, and just threw the ball into the ground. That that happens too often in the Bill O'Brien offense. So if you look at what Kyle Shanahan does, that he does really well, is he moves Garoppolo around. He gives, he, he forces Garoppolo, or he forces defenses to make Garoppolo, I'm putting this really poorly, it's the different passing angles that Shanahan uses by getting Garoppolo out of the pocket. And what Bill O'Brien does is he does not do that. He does not get Deshaun out of the pocket with any regularity unless it's a pure RPO. And that's really silly. So when you look at the Shanahan, the Kubiak offenses, there's a lot of bootlegging. There's a lot of movement in the quarterback. You create new throwing angles. Bill O'Brien doesn't do any of that. And I think a lot of the easy yards come from that and from the outside zone. So you allow your guys, your running back, to make cuts that they wouldn't normally cut. You allow them to use their vision to make cuts. With Carlos Hyde running him up the middle 13, 15, 20 times a game, there's no, there's not a whole lot there. Every once in a while, yes, he bounces one outside successfully, but that's why he's either really bad or really good. It's bipolar with him. And on Sunday, he was really bad. Because, look, when Mike Vrabel picks up on it, that Bill O'Brien just does a, this thing. He's talking about Carlos Hyde up the middle. And we this is not new. We've seen it since. You know, he did not know how to use Bill O'Brien did not know how to use Aaron Foster. And he tried to use Lamar Miller in this Carlos Hyde role. And that was a miserable failure. Because that's not who these guys are. Carlos Hyde is a great guy for him because exactly who the kind of runner he is. But mm-hmm. this was not a good season. So anyway. You create the easy yards by putting your players in a position to win. I don't think running, doing the same thing with Carlos Hyde up the middle does that. I don't think forcing Deshaun Watson, who's a really good thrower on the run, to stay in the pocket. Yeah. Matt. Yeah. And Shannon, too. Very yeah, ranty. I, yeah. I think Shannon, too. Either, they, I saw a stat that he uses the most motion of any team in the league. I thought it had to be Baltimore, but actually, San Francisco uses more motion, too. And they just do some wild things. Like that play they ran against Seattle in week 17. They put Kittle in motion, and then he stops, at, and then he turns back around to snap the play, and they run a wide receiver reverse and use him as a lead blocker. They just, I mean, he just, he's expanded so far upon everything uh, from just saying that the outside zone play just adds so many layers to it as well. I think the other problem with the Texans offense, or the difference between the two, is that everything looks the same in the Shanahan offense. So, like, you really have no idea what right. you're expecting. And the Texans the offense is like, okay. Darren Fells is in the flex wing position. Here comes a here comes a power run play. Here comes a gap scheme play. Darren Fells on the line of scrimmage. It's either gonna be play action to two receivers running deep, 
or he's gonna run or he's gonna run like into the flat or make a short curl and we have a pass here. Like they're the tells there are very easy to see. And they don't run the ball a shotgun with Duke uh, Duke Johnson very often as well either. And it's just like a very predictable and stale offense. And this is coming from someone who's just like sitting in my room watching the all twenty two. I'm like, oh it's gonna be a run and then you know, there it is right there immediately too. Um I mean the biggest problem with this offense though this game was on third down, fourth down. Houston was converted five of their fifteen attempts on third and four or on third down they were five fifteen. On fourth down they were one of five. Watson on third and fourth down combined was A fifteen for fifty three point three percent, hundred thirteen yards, one touchdown. He was sacked three times and had seven and a half yards in attempt. And whenever the Texans were in those third down situations, they were unable to convert throughout this entire game. Um, did you see something similar as well too? Because they seem like they moved the ball, but they got the ball to like the forty-five and they faced the third down. That was kind of the end of it a lot of the time. It was. It's because the play calling got really unimaginative. Aside from that one, aside from that first drive, it got the isolation of Will Fuller. I'm going to pick on that one a lot because that was the one that was killing. It was those sorts of plays. Like um, there was another third down. God, I can't remember the, the scenario, but it was once again when the Texans. The route trees that the Texans run sometimes are so confounding because you'll wind up with three guys within five yards of each other. And I don't know if that's by design, and if it is, it's really stupid. But there was another one that we had on Sunday. The Matt, take over. Because <laughs> um, I, I start talking about this, I just want to punch something because <laughs> the play calling is so poor. Yeah. I oh mean, my gosh. The, well, the frustrating thing, too, it's like this is year six. This has been, I guess, from a win-loss record, the best – Version the best like Texans team we've seen so far, and this is about the end of the Deshaun Watson rookie contract. And the best that they were able to come up with is a fortunate team who blew a twenty-one-zero lead to the Kansas City Chiefs, where they scored forty-one straight points on them as well. Too um, the other thing I saw too is they like again I I really hate all the isolation routes, especially against a team like Kansas City. And um, they Kansas City does a lot of different things. They play a lot of press man. They play a lot of single high. They play a lot of zone as well, too. They use Matthew in a wide variety of ways. But they also ran like a lot of like short comeback routes against short hook zones. And there's just nothing open at all. And like their pick and pop passing works well when they're dropping back seven yards deep and then their guy sits there right away, like the fellas touchdown, the other fellas conversion. But overall, like it a lot like the Carolina game, I think, is the best example of that offense that's utmost worst. And then it rears its head at times, like games like today, where it just gets really stagnant on third down. Just nobody's open. Watson's constantly searching. And it's unbelievable for Watson to be looking for DeAndre Hopkins to get open or Will Fuller to get open or Kenny Stills to get open uh, against a Kansas City team whose like cornerbacks are fine, but they're not tremendous. You know, Hopkins versus Javarius Ward's a big miss and match advantage, and not one that they were able to you know, attack all that much. Instead, a lot of Hopkins catches went to the slot again. Uh, same thing with Will Fuller, too, whenever they had Fuller there and Matthew there as well. Yeah, and I, that's uh, two things I want to touch on because we caught a lot of passes with wide receivers looking back at the quarterback or a lot of passes just thrown generally with a lot of wide receivers looking back at the quarterback, which means you're not in motion. You're mm-hmm. an easy tackle. You're an easy target. And number two, we should have been burning them. Every time they went single safety high, we should have been scorching them, and we did not take advantage of that. Yeah, and that's also this defense went from Juan Thornhill, who has been awesome this year. He tore his ACL. And replacing him was Armani Watts, who's a second-year player, who's made, I believe, one start this year. And they're, they just didn't press him at all, really very much in all this game. And Kansas City played a lot of single high. The other thing Kansas City has done a lot of lately is play a lot of three safety sets. 
So it's Matthew, Sorensen, and Watts all on the same team, all, are all on the defense at the same time. And uh, and that gave Houston, I think, a lot of trouble in the running game, especially where they just had an extra guy in the box on, in the box and obvious rundowns. And I, it's hard to tell from the All-22, but Spagnola, I know, one of the things he did from the run defense was he put Pennell in there, he put Kalen Sanders in there, and both of those guys have been very good stop in the run. And he will also just walk his linebackers up in the A-gap and turn them into a, a fit-down lineman. And then he'll have the safety on the outside as well to for, for those cutbacks, and it kind of removes their cutbacks too. So they're sitting in every gap, and they have a guy out there. And their linebackers don't make any plays really at all because everything's contained to their safeties and defensive line, which is interesting. And the Texans really didn't really didn't press downfield as much as you think they would or set up matchup advantages downfield. I think Hopkins didn't do enough like vertical routes against Traverius Ward as well, especially from like not necessarily press so far to the sideline, but in between the tight set and the sideline because Ward can get beat off the line of scrimmage. He does a lot of zone turning, but by getting you less, he uses the sideline very well to his advantage by getting those those uh, nine routes a lot in a lot more space. I think it was one way they could create to get Hopkins to open, and they didn't do that as well either. Yeah, and I think I'm going to go back again because when you look at what was happening with with the pressure on Watson was a lot of Frank Clark. Frank mm-hmm. Clark beat Chris Clark terribly. And Tunsil. The he game. beat Tunsil off this game, he too. Tun- oh, yeah. he, had, he had two sacks yeah. against Tunsil in this game. And so you had to put up with a lot of that, and, and they did a good job um, using the secondary to blitz. So how about we do something imaginative, like get Deshaun Watson out of the pocket? How about we do something like change the throwing angles? And we didn't do that. We just don't do that as a team. So what happens is you have Frank Clark who's coming off an edge. you got the, uh, in front pressure. It, it seems like it's like I've seen this broken record before, and I don't like it. And it's that we don't do anything imaginative with Watson to, to, to create a, a – a, Oh, that's corny sounding. I'm not going to say that. To create to, to, to create our successful scenarios for him, we don't. We just keep him in the pocket, and that's it. And then he's got to scramble, and he's got to make plays down the field because the offensive line still isn't holding up. They were getting into the backfield quickly. Yes, Frank Clark had like a 10-second sack. I get it. You know, that's but he's still, partly on he's the still, But no, but he, on that sack, though, too, he still beat Tunsil with the rip move, create pressure immediately, Forces Watson to step up for, and then he's looking for something to open. Now he's in scramble mode, and he ends up sacking from behind. But that's not on Watson's fault. The pressure is there immediately. And there's nothing open. And if you look at the right. dots on that sack, there's nothing open. If you watch the all twenty-two of the sack, nothing's open on it. You know. Yep. Um, so but, anyway, it's frustrating. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. So this week can establish the run. Houston had eleven first down rushes for forty-nine yards. Hyde had seven carries for 24 yards, which is 3.43 yards a carry. Watson has 6.1 yards in attempt. Watson's typically better on first down. Uh, I don't think the first down run game was that bad this game compared to weeks previous where it's like, you know, 2.2 yards a carry and that sort of thing. They ran a lot of power. I saw a lot of gap scheme plays, and it got them like four yards pretty well, but there's nothing else in addition to that. And it just kind of led to Houston being in like third down and four and third down and six where they're unable to convert a lot of times. On second and seven and longer, which is also included establishing the run, they had three rushes for 16 yards, which is 5.33 yards a carry. I think Carlos Hyde only had one carry out of those. I think mm-hmm. uh, I think Watson had two carries for like seven yards on that in that portion of it. And for Chum, which is of course Carlos Hyde at the middle, he had nine carries for 30 yards, which is 3.33 yards a carry. And again, it was a lot of like interior power plays against Kansas City. 
I, I got nothing to add. Uh, the the run game, I was surprised they didn't run the ball more considering how much they ran the ball last time. And especially going up 24-0 on them, I expected them to just be like, yeah, we're going to run the ball a lot. We're going to try this stupid zone read thing that doesn't work. They didn't do that very much. I thought they should have used Watson as a runner a lot more too. Um, I think, again, it's just like how all those stupid plays and the turnovers on the special teams and everything else after they went up 24-0 and the, and the, and the fake punt and everything else, I think it really kind of killed their ability to do something like go more power, go more run heavy, attack Kansas City's run defense and their linebackers. And they didn't. They, you know, they didn't because of those situations. But even then, I do think Kansas City's run defense has been better since the Tennessee game too. Uh, with some of the scheme th- scheme changes Spagnola has done that I mentioned, you know, five minutes ago or so. Yeah, and it, what I've really noticed is that they're, and you mentioned it earlier with the linebackers, but even putting the defensive tackles into the A-gap and just really, this is, you're not going to beat us here. They seem to really focus on that during the game. Yeah, and Pennell has been good, and Sanders has been good. He's a rookie. Pennell is like 34 and weighs 315 pounds. He's so squatty. Mm-hmm. Like, he has crazy, crazy it's leverage. It's a fire hydrant. And uh, and I, I think also like looking at the offensive line too, if you look at their skill sets, like I think Tunsil can block any scheme, but he's a zone blocking guy. I think Sharping is more of a power blocking guy, a more of a gap scheme guy. I think Nick Martin's a zone scheme guy. I think Fulton has you have no idea what Fulton is at all. I think Fulton gained way too much weight in Houston. He doesn't look as slim as he looked in Kansas City. Or maybe it's just the white jerseys makes everybody belly look bigger for Houston. And they don't have a right tackle right now at the moment. But I think there's just no cohesion at all. And, uh, and marrying like their talents to their run scheme on their offensive line too, and that's I think part of the reason why their their run blocking is just so like so blah throughout the entire year. Yeah. So uh, were you surprised by how well Clark played this game? He had three sacks, three tackles for a loss, and four quarterback hits. I was because he was not very good all year. He really wasn't, and but he had he got some time off, right? And so he got to rest up, but he looked really fresh mm-hmm. on Sunday. That really blew me away. Yeah, I was I was watching the video, and the last few weeks I think he played well. Uh, I was I, I did the podcast with Jeff Fadden where we talked about the Chiefs only. He was saying he had a, a pinched nerve, and it seems like he recovered from that. And one of the things I've always really enjoyed about watching Clark play is he's really like long with his arms. They're just everywhere. He's like a big windmill, and any sort of restriction movement with his arms I think really affected him. But he's been good for about three weeks or so now. Chris Jones as a pass rusher hasn't been that great and him being injured wasn't the biggest surprise to me because he hasn't been like, he's been more of like a three, four run stopping defensive in the last few weeks or so. So it'd be interesting to see if he, if he's able to play next week, but he hasn't been like the same sort of player lately too. They really have kind of flipped though, where Jones was spectacular in the middle part of the season. Now Clark is the one who's playing very well. Uh, but yeah, this wasn't Clark just beating Chris, I, I want to make this clear. This wasn't Clark just being Chris Clark. He beat Tunsil a lot this game. He had a really good game against Tunsil. He had some really uh, great pass rush moves, some swims and stuff, and he wasn't locked down by him at all whatsoever in this one. Yeah, no, I agree. And uh, I want to talk about Jones. I think Jones has been fighting injury so much off and on all year. Like, I know that he had the calf injury was kind of a new thing, but he's his season has been erratic, mm-hmm. especially compared to last year where he was it like JJ Watt is everybody. Last year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Totally. And, even, and even the year before that too, like he's been great for uh, probably three years or now. Any three years or so now, and he's an unrestricted free agent this year too. Sure, I'll take him. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, Sign which, him up. Which is a, it's like a symbol for later on in the show. So we're gonna go to our listener questions now. 
Um, but first, I want to say shout. I want to give a shout out to Drew Sorensen, the Kansas City folk hero. He forced the fumble on the DeAndre Carter play. He made the tackle again on Justin Reed, and he actually made some good run tackles this year. He was the guy who Derrick Henry absolutely murdered in their playoff loss, you know, three right. years ago to Marcus Mariota. And also Matthew's been a lot better in Kansas City watching the video. I really like appreciate how they've used him where he plays slot corner. He plays, you know, they, they like to blitz and roll coverages with him. Um, he plays, you know, robber, he plays deep middle. They, he does so many different things for him. And compared to Houston where he just played deep middle, um, he's been better there. And also he hasn't been so annoying in Kansas City too. It's not like he makes a tackle for 12 yards and, you know, and is yapping like he usually does. Uh, he also isn't doing that thing where he misses a bunch of tackles either. And there's there's a few chances he had in this game to like absolutely blow up Carlos Hyde or Hopkins, and he didn't do it. It was very nice of him. So as much as I got him annoying in Houston, he's been good in Kansas City this year, and uh, and good for them. I'm glad I'm glad he found a place where uh, they've used him to his, the best of his abilities, and he's been uh, a much better player too. Yeah, and I want to just give mad props on that. I think it was the last Texans drive, offensive drive, that he could have absolutely blown up Deshaun Watson, and he held back. And I just thought that was one of the classiest plays I've seen from an NFL player. And if that would have been uh, Heinz Ward or Jack Tatum, you know, Deshaun Watson would be on a hospital bed right now. It was that. Mm-hmm. It could have been that bad. And he didn't. He, he, he pressured him, and he hit him, and he didn't ear hole. And so, you know what? Tyron, I have talked a lot of smack about you over the years. You made up for it in that one play. Yeah, and I mean, he's been used a lot differently here, or used a lot differently in Kansas City than Houston. I think the cornerback injuries is really kind of what screwed Houston up last year, too, where they had moved Jackson from safety to slot corner, and they and put um, you know, Tyron Matthews a free safety instead of playing strong safety, and they put Reed there instead because they couldn't get beat deep at all. They trusted Matthew more, which isn't, what he's good at, as we saw with the Nelson Aguilar touchdown and a variety of other plays. Right. Um, so our listener questions for tonight, the first one's from at the future. Great. And he asked BFD, what will it take for change? And I think he's talking about the head coaching position. It's going to, the money. If Cal McNair isn't seeing the money, that's what it's going to take to change. I don't think anything is going to change because they still keep filling the stadium. I don't think they really care. They don't make the Super Bowl. I think there's a whole lot of, hey, look, we're getting rich. Screw it. That goes along with this. And look, prove me wrong. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's going to take a 2 and 12 season or a 5 and 11 season, something along those lines. Because as long as this team keeps doing things like going 10 and 6, making the playoffs, um, I can't see them making a change because of it. Now, you listen to Bill Bryan's press conference today, it's filled with stuff like, I think we have great guys here. I think we're on the right path. I think we're very close. We have a great group of guys. We're, we have the guys that we want in the locker room now. All that sort of stuff. And and also, who's going to pressure him fire? He controls the entire building. Everybody there works for him, except for Cal McNair. Uh, he's the GM of the team. Everybody. Then He's the son of this entire franchise right now, too. So unless you know, regression comes next year, and they go 3-9 and nine in one-score games instead of 9-3 one-score games, and they miss the postseason, they go six and ten or something like that. That's the only way I can see Houston uh you know, moving on from. And the other thing too, Houston is really healthy this year also. Except aside from the Watt injury, they were a very healthy team this year too. But that's the only thing, only way I can see a change happening here. I don't think it's even money necessarily. I think it's more some like another like really awful season has to happen. 
and with Wa- and with, do it because and with Watson sorry, how is, and with Watson too like he doesn't really allow you like the the floor is so high with him because of his ability mm-hmm. and same thing with Hopkins as well too that's hard to, it's really really hard to go like six and ten whenever you have guys like that like even Rogers the worst season he had was like nine and seven even during their kind of like downfall um, and the bad years they had he was hurt completely. Yeah, I don't even know if three and thirteen would do it because somebody's they're going to come up with an excuse. Well, we had too many injuries, we had bad luck this season. As long as the stands are filled, I don't think they care because we had the three and thirteen season. Well, yeah, and Watson matter. was hurt, and they played well. With, right. The offense was good with Watson. The excuse and that. Well, I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the excuse is that. Well, the reason why they were bad is because they took Tom Savage and they thought Savage was a competent quarterback, and that's on Bill O'Brien. But they still scored like. 32 points a game with Watson. He was healthy that year. So I, right. I, I, I understood why they kept him that year, but if they did it again, I don't think they would. Um, I mean, that that's my own personal opinion. The next question we have here is from at Max Morgan. What is wrong with me? I bought a new Texans hat today. So this is now a self-help podcast, BFD. This is Cosmopolitan now. There's nothing wrong with you. <laughs> Be a player. Wear that hat. Be proud. Strut. Nothing wrong with you, man. Yeah, that's. I would say get a new Texas Rangers hat instead. They came with the new uniforms and they're, they're very hot. Even though I I hate this new indoor baseball stadium, and the only reason oh. I th- I can come up with it is because of global warming. And so I think they're like, yeah, it's gonna keep getting hotter and hotter. We got playing playing some air conditioning now. But yeah, the the new blue is very hot. You should get one of those hats instead. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> The next question is from at HuggyBear281. And he has a few yes. questions for you, BFD. And these are all involving the head coach. Why don't you respect the Texans? What have we done that gives us the right to criticize Bill O'Brien? Will O'Brien be fired after next season or will he last until 2022? My favorite thing that I saw today was that uh, the nickname given, given to Bill O'Brien is, is uh, Houston Garrett. I thought that was great. Yeah. Houston Garrett's yeah. good. Marvin O'Brien's good. Uh, yeah. I came up with Marvin O'Brien. I want my props for that one. Uh, you can um, call him, you can call him Bill Fisher. Yeah. He's never going to go away. It's going to take 10 years. It's going to take, it, it would really take 10 years. Like Marvin um, Lewis did like, like Jeff Fisher. It's going to take like this extended period of just pure, mediocrity for something to finally happen i mean at some point you really can't just say you know this this nine and seven season was great we were 10 and six this year um fine you look at the personnel should have been better and then also with some of the moves we made but but we made we we were 10 and six this year and we mortgaged the future and so you look at the 11 5 and 11 and 5 team last year and that's the worst eleven and five team I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't think it's going to take anything less than a complete and total face plant with a healthy team for anything to happen. And even then, the excuse is going to come out. We're going to do the Bill O'Brien, the New England Patriots way. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would say I, I don't, I don't know. I don't got much to say at all. Uh, I would like to, if they were to fire him, if they did malarkey Bill O'Brien, because remember the malarkey thing happened. It happened oh, like yeah. it happened like three weeks after the season ended. It wasn't immediate. It took some time to sit on it before they did that. 
Uh, but I would like to see B. Edmond, the Kansas City offensive coordinator, oh, just because, gosh, like, yeah. I mean, you know, he understands the offense well. He calls the plays. Uh, I'm sure he draws up stuff with Andy Reid all the time, and their offense has been spectacular. And, and nobody really talks about him, too. I don't understand that all that much. Um, the next question we have here. I see him everywhere. <laughs> well, I but, like, nobody's interviewing him right now at all. He's not going to get a job this year. He didn't get a job last year. Yeah. You know? So, I'm so old. I remember seeing Eric Bieniemy live at CU. That's awesome. That's how old I am. That's yep. cool. <laughs> Uh, the next question we have here is from at Smooth Grandma, and that's with two A's. Bigger offseason mm-hmm. need, pass rusher or general manager? GM. I, I just don't look. A lot of people say that that Bill O'Brien is a great GM, but he really has mortgaged off the future of this team, and I think that there's a lot of bad decisions. A lot of it was because Brian Gain was so bad, and so I, I get what Bill O'Brien is doing. I can understand. I'm hip, but we need somebody who's going to need to understand how to draft players that are good and not just draft any player that you saw at the senior bowl. We need somebody who needs to build this team from the bottom up. And if you're Bill O'Brien, and if you're already the head coach, the offensive coordinator, you're the, you you pop the popcorn in the morning and you're the head (laughs) janitor and, and you park cars before the game. You need somebody who can find those guys at the fourth, fifth, sixth rounds. And right now we don't. Ha- I don't think we've got anybody in the front office that can do that sort of thing. And it sure, sure as hell isn't Bill O'Brien. We need a GM. We need a staff in place that can find those guys because we have no draft picks. We need to be successful at the bottom of the draft. And I don't have any optimism we're going to be good at that. Yeah, and I mean like, the game thing too. I think he had an awful off season. But I wonder how much of that was like, like they worked together. You know. I wonder how much of it was like some long-term vision they had and whatever. And then O'Brien realized, oh, wait, Matt Khalil's our left tackle still. And the season starts in two weeks. And I can't trade to JV on Clowney because I wait until after the contract extension deadline because uh, Brian Gain wanted him here. And now I have no idea what I'm going to do. So even though like, I don't even know how bad of a job Brian Gain did concerning the circumstance. And we never really got a great answer at all on what happened there between those two and, you know, with that whole kind of power play struggle. I think the Clowney thing is clear, but that whole thing um, still is is very, like, murky to me. It's like that and the whole Brock Osweiler signing. Like, those two things never really made any sense at all. And everything was conflicting, and except everybody hated each other at all, you know. Pretty much. Yep. I, I yeah, I do think having a general manager be great, especially it's very hard to game plan. It's very hard to come up with an offense week to week. Especially when you're doing that and scouting, you know, Vernon Hargreaves or deciding if you're going to make a trade for Gary and Conley or not. And so I think that's a very difficult thing to do. And I think there's just too many, like, he's not an octopus. He's a person. There's only so many arms he has. The next question we have here is from uh, at Upper Texan. He asked, since Bill Bryan oh has the God. most solid security of all Houston coaches, how much better mathematically is he than Mike D'Antoni and new Astros manager? Also, Bill O'Brien is Kirby, the pink small round thing, yes or no? I did not understand any of this. I, I didn't. I saw his questions. I'm like, huh? Sorry, UT. I don't know. <laughs> I guess he's, he's making the joke that the Astros have fired their manager. D'Antoni right. was going to be fired this Who's year. Who's D'Antonio? He's, I don't even know who he is. Mike D'Antoni is the Houston basketball head coach. Oh, and he's probably Yeah, he's probably going to get fired. They don't win a championship this year. So how much better is Bill O'Brien since he's the one with all the job security? It's very funny. Uh, I do like the Kirby thing because you can keep he keeps getting hit and hit. It doesn't matter at all. 
And then he can just like suck up the general manager. Now he's the general manager. You know, the What's little, the Kirby thing? You know, he's the little pink guy <laughs> and like he's in the video game and you like suck up an enemy with a sword and then now you have a sword or you suck up an enemy that flies. Now you can fly. It's things like that. It's cool. fun. It's fun. Ask your son. I'm sure he knows. So the last, okay, boomer. the last question we had tonight was, oh, wait, is that to me? Sorry, I don't know. Ahead. I don't know. I don't like, I don't like the memes. <laughs> I try to stay from the memes. It's like, have it's like Ryan with cliches. Like, oh right. my, the thing that drives me crazy nowadays too, is when somebody describes a football player as a grown man. Yeah. He's 27 <laughs> years old. He is a grown man. He's, he's been able to bench press 450 pounds since he was 14. He is a grown man. We get it. Right. Be better. Right. You know, be better. Um, and then the other question we have here is from Greg, who's a friend of the podcast. Um, he asked, would you be interested or he's interested in our opinion on the two most beneficial free agent acquisitions for the Texans this off season. So are there two guys who really, you know, poke your eyes out or really have grabbed your eyes so far this year? I'm not going to be really picky. Uh, number one, I haven't spent the time yet on that. Like, find, Oh my God, that hurt. Finding specific guys, Jesus, finding specific guys, but we have to get an edge rusher and we have to get a cornerback. That's it. I mean, if we do nothing else. And number three, I would say, is a tight end who doesn't suck or a tight end that that Bob actually believes in. I don't know if that's Warring. It seems like Warring's already done. I think so, too. You I think I think Warring's too hot for Bill O'Brien. He's too much of a yeah. Chad, you know. Too, too jealous. Yeah. yeah. So I, I just don't – we need help defensively. We need to spend like eight picks on the defensive side of the ball to not suck. So if we need to go out and spend money, we need to do it there. But that said, Deshaun Watson's almost done with his contract. Laramie Tunsil's going to have all the leverage in the world. So we have to spend <laughs> our money wisely. We are that's, – that's the thing about the short-term take that Bill O'Brien had with the – uh, you know, in August and during the year is we're going to run out of money really quickly with the free agents we need to sign. Hopkins, Fuller, who do you sign? Do you give Fuller all the money because he he's the biggest difference in the offense in the history of the universe? Yeah. I mean, from the way that you talk about, you listen to the game broadcast, Will Fuller is much more valuable than the Sean Watson. I mean, that's a joke. Yeah. So who do you give the money to? Yeah, that's a great point. I think it'd be the funniest thing in the entire world if Tunsil's like, nah, I'm going to go to Minnesota or something like that. I'm going to go back to Miami. Uh, I mean, I don't, think, I don't see him doing that at all, but just after everything else, I think it'd be hilarious. The other thing I want to mention about the Tunsil trade too real fast is, the Tunsil, of course, the Tunsil trade's great because they didn't give up any current assets. It was just like adding him for free this year to this team. But also the argument that, well, first-round picks aren't that valuable. You're a fan of the team who's entirely built on first-round picks. Deshaun Watson, J.J. Watt, DeAndre Hopkins, Wendy Merciless. Um, the entire team is built around hitting in the first round. And other previous guys like Jadavian Clowney, Kareem Jackson aren't here at all anymore. But these are the entire team is built around hitting in the first round. And now they're not valuable at all anymore because they get traded away. Uh, the two guys I'm interested in are I love, uh, I love Bud Dupree mainly because he went from doing absolutely nothing to getting really strong this year. And they used him like Clowney. Like he's, he made Clowney a short plays in the interior as a stamp, kind of like hybrid linebacker. Uh, he's been really good as an edge rusher too. I also really like Eric Armstead. He had a, his breakout year oh, this yeah. year. 
He's long. Yeah. He finally had a great year. And the Texans need an interior rusher. And I think he can play 3-4 defensive end. He can play the three technique in diamond nickel situations too. Those are two guys that I really enjoyed watching play this year. And it'd be cool if Houston could make a run for either of them as well too. Yeah. And so what do you do about DJ Reader? I think he's been gone like he's based on what guy they coming. said. He, oh, yeah. He's gone. Yeah. I think. So we're going to have to sign a lot. Of, that's the thing. We have a lot of guys hitting at the same time on the payroll. And that's why they've had so much cap space, too. Yep. Yep. Um, I mean, this is basic This is basic stuff you learn just playing Madden, not to let this happen. And Bill O'Brien never played Madden, clearly. <laughs> well, he's too busy watching the film and talking to girls, you know. Somebody's got to pop the popcorn. Somebody's <laughs> got to clean the toilets. Okay? <laughs> when you have every position on a football team, you don't have time to play. Yeah, the one thing that scares me, though, is the cornerback market's bad. It's like Byron Jones and Chris Harris, who's 33, and James Bradbury, who's like a, a zone, like cover three, cover four sort of cornerback. There's not much there at the cornerback position again. It seemed to be a lot like last year, where like you're just praying for, I don't know. I, I don't know. You can't do the same. I don't know what they're going to do at the cornerback position next year. Bradley Roby, what is he going to do? He's going to chase the money. Somebody's gonna pay him ten million a year, and hopefully it's not Houston. It's probably we going paid to be ten million a year this year. Yeah, or I mean, maybe probably even like twelve for like four years or something, or thirteen right. for four years. I bet they resign him. I wonder what happened to Reader's interior pass rushing too. That's one of the saddest things about the season. Like after the Chargers game, it's it's completely disappeared. I don't know if he got tired or if he got heavy. Uh, they're still using him the same way. If he's double teamed more, and they're just like, yeah, we're just going to slide our protection to him and block blacks him with, with nobody because he can't do anything at all. But <laughs> right. I don't know. I don't know. Put a speed bump in front of blacks and then he's done. Yeah, I'm tired. I'm going to go lay down after all this. This wasn't. I'm very, done. I thought this was going to be fun. It wasn't very much fun. <laughs> and I think the worst thing about this game, too, it's not that Houston lost, them losing was expected. But it's that this has been the best version of the O'Brien team. This is like his team. He has his guys here, his talent. It's all accumulates to this team. And the best thing he could do is be fortunate this season. And you have an opportunity where you're up 24-0 against the Chiefs. All the breaks you need to have happen, happen. And you beat them and you get the Titans at home for an all AFC South conference championship game. <laughs> And you get outscored 41-0 after that. And it's not the loss that sucks. It's just the squandering of an opportunity that's never going to come around again like that. Like, you're never going to get a chance where you're going to have, have that much luck that fast. And uh, I, I I don't know. It's still unfathomable. And I can it's unfathomable and it's fathomable at the same time. And uh, I'll, I'll never get over it. But I'm glad that we can all be blood brothers as Houston friends and a game that has connected generations now. That's right. So, 93. that's all we have for tonight's show. We'll be back on later this week to do a conference championship preview. We'll be back on next week to do a conference championship review. And the plan from here the entire season is, of course, talk about the postseason. Uh, I would like to maybe do an, an all-pro podcast in the gap between the Super Bowl, maybe. Like an awards thing as well. And they'll talk about the Super Bowl. We'll talk about an off-season outline after that game. And the off-season's fast in the NFL. It's Super Bowl two weeks, like three weeks, free agency, the draft's a month later, and then nothing happens for, you know, four months or whatever. But uh, we'll still be here talking and talking and talking. Sounds great. Until next time, I'm Matt Weston. Thank you for the Smell Red Radio. And thank you for being on tonight, BFT.
Woo!